The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome. <laughs> this is fantastic. Everybody's in the front row. I love it. <laughs> okay. I think all of you know that I'm Diana Clark. And this is the second class in a series on like insights. Um, we build it for um, those for experienced practitioners, with the idea being that I'm not going to talk about basic meditation instructions, and I'm going to assume that you have some familiarity familiarity with some of the Buddhist teachings, such as the Four Noble Truths, and some of the things I'm going to talk about you may have heard and you may not have heard. So tonight's uh, topic is about the sense basis and sense contact. It's so easy, it's so easy to kind of get lost in the seeming complexity of our everyday experiences. There's a lot of stuff that happens. If we think about all the experiences we had during the day that are, can seem kind of complicated and complex and entwined, intertangled, and all these different things, if we feel like we want to look at it, it's like, wow. But there is, of course, one way we can look at it, in which, in fact, it's quite simple. In fact, we could say there are only six things that are happening. Only six. That's not a lot. Six. Maybe you know this, right? It can be seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, as in um, what the body's um, feeling tactile sensations, and thinking. So in the Buddhist world, the, there are six senses, the usual five that we're accustomed to, and then the sixth one, thinking. And the Buddha talks about this in a sutta. He calls it the all. And he says, monks, I will teach you the all. What is the all? It is the eye and visible objects, the ear and sounds, the nose and odors, the tongue and tastes, the body and tactile objects, the mind and mind objects. This is called the all. If anyone should speak otherwise, having rejected this all, and saying, I shall make known another all, that would be a mere empty boast on their part. If they were questioned, they would not be able to reply, and further, they would meet with vexation. So just saying, you know, look, there really is nothing except these six. Keep it in mind that the mind is one of these six. So just the way that the eye sees objects, the mind sees mental objects. So what are these mental objects? Thoughts, reasoning, memories, reflections, moods, emotions. The stories we make are just like a whole bunch of series of thoughts. So if we keep that in mind can greatly simplify our experience by thinking about the six. But in our commonplace, everyday thinking and language and the way that we talk about our experience, we're offering, we are often saying, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm thinking. But in fact, there is just seeing. There's just hearing. There's just thinking. Seeing arises, seeing passes away. There's an eye, eyeball, eye organ. There's a sense object. These two, the, the, the eye and the object come together in some kind of way. And then there's a knowing that happens. And this kind of these three things, the sense organ, the sense object, and a knowing, is called sense contact. 
So there's also this teaching. So there's. So that's all that we experience, right? Or just a bunch of sense contact. There isn't a, a permanent, sustainable self behind this. There's just a series of sense contacts. And in the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the sutta in which um, there's the outlines mindfulness practice, there's instruction to also notice the fetter that arises dependent on sense contact. So notice that sense contact is what's occurring. Be mindful of that. But also notice what happens next. So this word fetter, we can understand fetter as something that gets in the way of freedom. Something that is like a type of bondage, a holding back. Sometimes the fetters are very subtle and sometimes they're obvious. For example, when we're just meditating and we're sitting and we're perhaps feeling the tactile sensations of the breath going in and out of the nose, do we notice that there's any, like a very slight little resistance or a wanting? Maybe there's this subtle um, entanglement with just feeling the sensations of the air going in and out of the nose. Maybe there's a pushing or a pulling towards this. There might be a slight holding or a fixating on it, as opposed to just allowing the sense contact to arise and pass away. Or there might be a slight feeling of trying to like push things along somehow, like, yeah, 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 okay, what's next? That's, you know, these may be a real subtle movement of the mind that often we wouldn't notice unless we were meditating. But we often have this slight feeling of wanting to fix things, wanting to change them just a little bit, like it's not quite right. There's this little engagement we have with our experiences. But in fact, like the breath is fine on its own. We're just noticing. With meditation, we're just noticing. But it's important also to remember that it's not the sense contact that's the problem. It's not the sense doors. Sometimes we use the sense organs. We call them sense doors. Those aren't a problem. And neither are the objects out there a problem. That's, That's just reality. It's just life. It's just what happens. But of course, it's what happens after it. So there's this uh, sutta that I kind of like because um, there's a group of elder monks who are sitting around and they have a question and they can't find the answer. And it's in fact a householder who comes and instructs the elder monks and gives tells them the way that it is, kind of an interesting way that it is often in these suttas. You know, the monastics are held as the ones that know everything. And here's a householder. So the sutta goes like this. On one occasion, a number of elder monks were dwelling at Machikasanda in the wild mango grove. And on that occasion, when the elder monks had returned from their alms round, after their meal, they assembled in the pavilion and were sitting together when this conversation arose. I think of this as a modern-day equivalent is, hey, let's go to Starbucks, you know, like after having <laughs> had a meal, and they're just you know, talking about the Dharma or something. So they have this conversation. Friends, there's fetter and things that fetter. These phrases are different, but do they have a different meaning? And some elder monks answered, fetter and things that fetter are different in meaning. But some other elder monks said, fetter and things that fetter are not different in meaning. And now on that occasion, Chitta the householder had arrived in Machikasanda on some business. Chitta the householder heard that the monks were having this conversation. And he approached those monks, paid homage to them, sat down to one side, and said to them, I have heard 
Venerable Sirs, that you were having this conversation about fetters. That is so, householder. Venerable Sirs, fetter and things that fetter are different in meaning. I'll give you a simile for this, since some wise people understand the meaning of a statement by means of a simile. Suppose, Venerable Sirs, two oxen were yoked together by a single harness. Would one be speaking rightly if one were to say the ox on the left is the fetter of the ox on the right? Or the ox on the right is the fetter of the ox on the left? No, householder. The ox on the left is not the fetter of the one on the right, and the oxen on the right is not the fetter of the one on the left. But rather, it is the harness by which the two oxen are yoked together. So too. The eye is not the fetter of forms, and forms are not the fetter of eye, but it is the desire and the lust that arise in dependence on these. That is the fetter. So desire and lust is a way of getting like entangled, of getting um, attached to. You know that desire leads, often leads to clinging and grasping. And of course desire is we want more of, but also there can be desire of wanting less of, pushing away. They're both kind of this idea of desire. Then the sutta goes on and has all the other five sense bases. goes through this for every single um, sense organ and sense object. So it's not that we should, shouldn't ever see things, and it's not that we should uh, make sure that there's nothing out there that is never pleasant to look at, or nothing that's ever um, unpleasant to look at or to experience in some other way. And yet here's uh, one more sutta that talks about this. Suppose a fisherman would cast a baited hook into a deep lake. And a fish on the lookout for, for food would swallow that hook. That fish who has swallowed the fisherman's hook would meet with calamity and disaster. As the fisherman could do with that fish as he wanted. So too. There are these six hooks in the world for the calamity of beings. There are forms cognizable by the eye. I could say there are visible objects cognizable by the eye that are desirable. They are lovely. They are agreeable. They are pleasing. They are sensually enticing. They are tantalizing. If a person seeks delight in them, welcomes them, and remains holding to them, they are called a person who has swallowed Mara's hook. And Mara, some of you may know, is the personification of, we could say here, fetters. Personification of things that get in the way of freedom, getting settled, concentration. So these persons have met with calamity and disaster, and Mara can do with them as he wishes. And this goes on for all the other uh, sense spaces, the five other. But then, if a person does not seek delight in these, in whatever sense object there is, does not welcome them, does not remain holding to them, they are called a person who has not swallowed Mara's hook, a person who has broken the hook, a person who has demolished the hook. That is, a person who is not under the sway of fetters, things that get in the way of freedom. So it's by not remaining holding onto things, by not seeking delight in them, of course we're going to experience things. There's no instruction here that we shouldn't experience things. It's just to notice what are we clinging to, holding on to. And again, that example was with the eye, but it's with them all five sense bases. It may be that sometimes the this clinging, this the desire, the holding on to the desire, and the subsequent holding on to, or the aversion and subsequent pushing away, may be subtle. But one obvious way that there's a 
that, um, that can be a consequence of sense contact is getting lost in stories. When we're lost in stories, we're no longer with the reality of the moment. We're no longer with our direct experience. Instead, we have created a future, we've created a past, or maybe we've created some fantasy about the present moment. And most likely, chances are, that all these stories have a self as the star, kind of at the center, the star of the movie, so to speak. And... It's almost impossible not for there to be a certain amount of our biases, our preferences to have slipped in to these stories too. Things that we like, things that we don't like, things that we tend to notice, things that we tend to not notice. So stories are not an accurate representation of what's actually happening. And some of you may have heard of this word of papancha. The stories of this idea of this mental proliferation. An example might be, um, for example, hearing a sound of a car just going by. It's just a simple sound. I recognize it as a car. And then that reminds me, oh yeah, I'm supposed to put change the oil in my car. And then, oh yeah, that reminds me, I got all those coupons in the mail for all those oil change places. And gosh, why do I get so much junk mail? And wow, what's happening to um, my mailbox keeps on getting full. And wow, that poor mail delivery person that has to carry all this mail. What is that like to give like all the same thing to hundreds, maybe even thousands of people every day are getting the same thing. And wow, all the paper that happens. And do the people that are doing this, how many people really reimburse these coupons? And I'm just going on and on and on, right? It just started with hearing a sound of the car. But then... Off we can go, right, with this big, long story. Papancha. I like this word, papancha. It's kind of fun to say. So Lady Sayadaw is, um, he died quite a number of years ago. He was a Burmese meditation master. And he had this expression, which I think is fantastic. He describes the all the sense spaces, or maybe this sense contact, as six train stations. And from there, like these different trains leave, right? Trains of thought kind of leave from these different stations. And some of them lead to suffering, this tightness, this um, this uh, desire for things to be different, and this papancha where we're getting disconnected from what's actually happening. It can also lead to freedom, it can also lead to freedom. So not all of these train stations are leading to more and more suffering. I'll talk about the freedom in a moment here, but one thing I want to highlight is that as are this papancha blossoms and proliferates, it strengthens a sense of me. A big sense of me here. And somehow the sense of me is against the world out there, somehow. Yes, might be subtle, this might be gross. This world may be a conceptual past. It might be kind of an abstracted present, just ideas about the present, not actual experiences about the present. Or it just may be an imagined future. But there's this kind of this sense of a a me out here and a world out there and this kind of tension, this pressure between the me and the world out there. And that's part of the suffering. It's part of the suffering as opposed to just seeing, oh, recognizing it's just a sound, just hearing. There isn't a big sense of me that's happening. There isn't this tension between me and things out there. So there's a number of ways in which we can practice with sense contact, the sense spaces. And one way is to kind of like undo the papancha and the sense of 
When we notice that we're lost in thought, lost in a story, we can just, in a relaxed way, trace it back. Oh yeah, it was just the sound of the car. Sometimes it may not be so easy to come back, to find a way back to the tactile or you know physical sensation. But remembering that the mind is a sense object. Uh, I can say their sense contact can include everything that's in our mind. Maybe we'll be, all we can say is, I don't know, I just had that thought. I don't know exactly where that thought came from, but I can see where this thought led to that thought, which led to that one, that one. And they all start to have maybe a kind of a wispy feeling, not as substantial, not as um, maybe uh, authoritative as when we when we start to look at, oh yeah, it's just because I had this particular thought or this particular experience. So this, when we find ourselves lost in thought, lost in papancha, lost in having the, last week I talked about the second arrow, it might be the 258th arrow when we discover that. If we kind of like trace it back, not in a way that we absolutely have to find it because greater freedom is not found in tightening around trying to figure it out. Instead, the freedom is going towards simplicity. Oh yeah, noticing it was just a sound. Maybe I'll just hang out here with sounds. This movement towards greater simplicity, the letting go of the complexity, that's the same movement for freedom. This letting go of the stories that have me at the center softening the tension that's between a me and a the world out there. This is the same movement, the same direction as freedom, as peace, as ease. If we're going towards more and more complexity, we're not going towards more and more freedom, more and more peace. So in this way, there can be this kind of liberating potential of working with the sense contact, working with the sense spaces, moving towards more freedom, maybe starting to see some of the desire or the clinging that arises just because we had a sense experience. And we didn't make that sense experience happen. We don't get to control them, right? We don't control the sounds. We don't control exactly what thoughts arise and when they arise. We don't control what, um, how the, what sensations we feel in the body. We can direct our attention and experience certain things, but there isn't like we get to control all of our experiences. Right? Certainly if we could, we would have done it already. So uh, also another part of working with sense spaces that can help us lead us towards more freedom is that complexity must always, I would say probably always, has delusion somehow is part of it. It's impossible to not be building complexity with complete 100% um, accuracy, is that the right word? Precision for what's actually happening. All of the structures that we are creating, there's a little bit of a self that's creating them, wanting them, that's getting propped up, that's getting supported. And selves have preferences, selves have views. And these views and preferences kind of distort, contort the nature of the story. So if we can get before the story, we can get kind of get away from some of the delusion. Maybe it's not 100% of it, maybe it is. Another benefit or a way 
that uh, working with the sense spaces can help lead us to more and more freedom is to recognize, oh, that was a sound that gave this long story about coupons and mail carriers, but that sound is gone. So just start to notice, right, how, of course, our sense experiences arise and pass away. We know this, like, intellectually, but to kind of know it in a different way, just to experience, oh, yeah, I had a thought, oh, and then there was another thought, then there was another thought. I heard a sound, I can feel the pressure of the cushion against my body, right? They are arising and passing, they're not constant. And then we can start to see that they are conditioned in the sense that they arise one, I mean, by influenced by the preceding one. That uh, idea in the mind arises based on um, either a, a preceding thought in the mind or a preceding physical sensation. They're conditioned. They don't happen randomly. doesn't mean that we always know exactly what the reason is why something arose, but we can start to recognize, oh yeah, there's a connection. So with that as an introduction, I'd like to guide us in practicing with the sense spaces. Just keeping it really simple, by being with sense contact, the experience of hearing, the experience of feeling tactile sensations, the experience of seeing. And then we'll also practice a little bit of with thoughts or papancha, kind of tracing them back and see. And we find ourselves lost in thought, looking back and see, how did that begin? Where did this come from? Okay. So, you can do whatever you'd like to get comfortable. Get some cushions if you need to, or whatever feels like the right thing to do. Let's begin with three long, slow, deep breaths. Sometimes it's helpful to exaggerate the movements of the breath is to help us connect. And we can start by bringing some awareness, some attention to the sensations of breathing. That is feeling the movement of the abdomen, the movement of the chest, or Feeling the air going in and out of the nose. Just in a simple, relaxed way. Just bringing our awareness to this movement. We'll just hang out here for a little bit, allow the mind to settle. Right now, there isn't anything else to do, nowhere else to be. We're just here with the sensations of breathing.
If you find your mind drifting away, lost in thought, it doesn't have to be a problem. Just simply begin again with the sensations of breathing. Now let's place our attention on the sense contact of hearing the sounds in the room. Could be my voice, sounds outside, sounds of the air conditioner. And can you, it might be helpful just to make a small little note and you can choose which seems the most helpful. The note might be sound, placing an emphasis on the sense object, or maybe it's hearing, placing the emphasis on the felt experience. Whichever one feels the most accessible, you might explore in a relaxed, gentle way, hearing. We're just going to keep it very simple. Sound. Right now, there's nothing else to do. We're just hanging out with sounds, allowing them to arise, allowing the knowing of sounds to be there. Now we can include the sense contact of the tactile sensations that the body has. Maybe that's the hands touching whatever they're touching. The pressure of the chair or the cushion against your body. Maybe what the feet are touching. Maybe the coolness of the air from the air conditioner. Maybe this, the note can be touching. Or, it's a little bit clunky, but maybe the tactile object or what's being felt or whatever makes sense for you.
can include with the sensations in the body the feeling of the breath where we started. The feeling maybe of stretching or pulling or moving. Sound. You can even, perhaps without moving your head, but just gently open your eyes and just notice that there are different visible objects. The eyes can be a little bit more difficult to stay with, just either seeing and visible objects. See if you can notice this subtle movement from seeing to looking. Looking is just a little bit more complicated. There's often a self tied up with looking. In the same way, the movement from hearing to listening. Can you notice that movement? Subtle movement. It's perfectly fine to listen. It's perfectly fine to look. Can we just notice? And then as best you can, you can simplify and just be with hearing, being with seeing, maybe sensing or feeling with the body. And then chances are there was a time during this meditation in which you found yourself lost in thought. If this were to happen again, maybe you could just notice, oh yeah, here's a thought, a memory, a reflection, a recollection. Whatever it is, you can just use that generic word thought and see if you can very gently in a relaxed way trace back is this thought did it arise because of an earlier sense contact it might be an earlier thought it might be a sound it might be a feeling in the body it might be something you saw
And if this ever gets too complicated, just very simply, you can either rest your awareness on the sensations of breathing, or maybe sensations in the body, the pressure of the chair, the cushion, or something like that. Trying to keep it simple, not complex. And recognizing that doesn't mean it's easy. Just staying with sense contact. Maybe it's easier to be with one sense base, sense organ than another. That's okay. If you'd like, you can just stay with that. Maybe hearing. Maybe feeling sensations in the body. If you find yourself lost in thought, just gently inquire, where did the, what station did this thought train leave from? You don't have to identify the sounds. You don't have to come up with a precise word for the bodily sensations. It can just be, oh, sensation, sound.
Can you do this in a relaxed way, without straining, just allowing the sense experiences to arise? And then to end this meditation, you can feel the pressure of the chair or the cushion against your body. Feel your feet on the ground. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. So in that meditation, we try to stay at the sense doors, at the sense contact, and just notice what's what's happening there. And of course, this is not so easy because the mind wants to, these thought trains want to go. And so we can use, we don't have to fight against that, we don't have to wrestle or struggle against that. We can just notice like, oh, oh yeah, here I am, lost in a story, And maybe we can trace it back to a sense door. Maybe not. Or maybe all we can see is like, I don't know, it just seemed like a whole long slew of thoughts. So maybe the sense door was a thought. Maybe a memory arose. And maybe a worry arose. And then a whole whole slew of thoughts after that. So I'd like to hear from you. What was that like? I offered some mental notes. Sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes it's not helpful. I said that you, we can. The noting could be about like with the object, or it could be kind of more the subjective. So it could I be like forms, visible things, or it could be the activity of seeing. Maybe you could play around with that, or. But I didn't want to make it too complicated. But maybe it is complicated. So I'd love to hear how that was. Any. Any experiences, any questions, any ideas? Yeah, I think you have to turn that on. You have to. So there's a green light. Um, interestingly, I noticed the volume of the thoughts was not the same for all senses. So if thought was like a radio commentary, it was not this, the as loud for some senses as opposed to others. Uh, and sight, actually, speaking of trains, it was a very grand central station. <laughs> yeah. Statue, microphones, just immediately words. Yeah. And it was interesting because that was not the case with sound. And also sounds have, it would seem like they would be similar, but they weren't. Yeah. Do you have any ideas why it might be different between sights and sounds? I, when I was trying to see where, where the train was coming from, one of the things I was thinking about was what makes 
because I had a memory and the memory was very vivid. I was like, this memory seems like it has the five two, which is a story that's nowhere. And then when I opened my eyes, it was like, oh, but now you, I can see. So it almost like um, it it the, the ruse, the fetter that I noticed is that it pretends the mind pretends like the the objects are speaking mm-hmm. right as if the statue has statue embedded in it mm-hmm. rather than being a fetter just after so when you said try to see the difference between seeing and looking I caught the fetter <gasps> it's not the statue it's nothing <laughs> it's just vision it's just a th- an object Great, great. Thank you. There's a lot of stuff in there that you're able to see. That's fascinating. Thank you. I I think, uh, I don't know. (laughs) Thank you. What I noticed was how when I would, um, when I was just noticing or like seeing rather than looking or hearing that myself wasn't involved in it, but then with the stories, I didn't realize, because before they were just always just stories, but I I really noticed it was all about me, which I never noticed before. And it just seemed, and then I'd be like, oh my God, here I go again. You know, and it just, and the me felt so more burdensome than it had felt before, which I thought was just so fascinating. So it made me really want to go back to the, freedom of just seeing or hearing yeah it was really interesting that's fantastic that's fantastic kind of feel the the burden of like oh the self that i have to like prop up and protect and i've got to look good right and make sure that everybody thinks the right thing about it and that i think the right thing about it and all all that stuff mine was more planning for future delights but yeah okay Right, right. How am I going to have more future delights? So, yeah, yeah, right. Oh, that's fantastic that you noticed that. Thank you. Yeah. So I realize something that's hard to describe. I understand something that's hard to put in words. Um, when I was really, really young, I was... I naturally meditated in this way. Like I remember just feeling, like being like two years old and feeling something and just being with the feeling of it or looking at the blue of a pool and feeling euphoric by just being, just looking at it. And it would have all of my concentration and attention at the time. And my thoughts wouldn't ramble on like they do now. Um, and it's... It just reminded me, because I am not religious now, but I was raised as a Christian, and it reminded me of something in the Bible that said, and I can't quote it exactly, I don't have the words exactly, but um, only something like, be like a small child, only minds like these will enter the kingdom of heaven. And it was referring to an innocence. And I feel like this meditation reminded me of the innocence I had when I was a child, the awe of the simplicity of the senses. And I also connected that with like a euphoric innocence that I felt as a child that was just true joy and contentment. And um, I just realized how convoluted it is with all the layers of complexity that I've added with my ego over the years. But um, I want... I have, mo- I have glimpses that remind me of the childlike innocence when I sometimes look at a pool, we'll do it, mm. see the light glistening off the water in the aqua blue. And I'll remember this like spark of joy that I felt as a child. And I feel like if I could hone in this type of meditation, maybe I can simplify enough to be a little bit more like a child again and tap into that happiness. Mm, nice. I love that you use this word awe. I think that's this kind of is like wow. Like what 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 is this? And, uh, and it kind of is 
in his nice, simple, direct way. And I wonder if this kind of euphoria that you spoke about is the, uh, the opposite of what um, you were just talking about, kind of like the burden of uh, selfing, and you're talking about the euphoria. And maybe it's the euphoria of not having the burden of selfing. Yeah, right? There's something there about this kind of more peace and freedom the, with the simplicity. And we can think of this, you know, selfing, quote-unquote, as happens along a spectrum. Often when we are this, um, we have a really strong view and we're feeling indignant, there's a certain, like, self-righteousness, and there's a lot of self. How dare you? Don't you know who I am? Or don't you know there's that kind of a feeling that's going on? And then there's going to be the other end of this spectrum where maybe where there's just seeing and the, maybe there's a self there maybe there isn't but if there is it's not burdensome it's relaxed it's open and spacious and we can move back and forth along the spectrum as the days go as our experiences change and we can find more and more ease and more simplicity we can find more and more spaciousness maybe as we go towards the simplicity and of course, I'm not saying that we shouldn't think. Of course we have to think. And we often have to think very complex thoughts and figure things out. And I'm, of course I'm saying that that's a part of life and necessary and what we should do and we need to do. And we, many of us live here in Silicon Valley, right? So there's a lot of thinking going on around here. So what I'm pointing to, though, is... It doesn't matter if we've been spending our entire life thinking, 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 selfing, selfing, selfing. It doesn't matter. One decade, two decades, three decades, four decades, five decades, six decades, seven decades, eight decades. I don't think anybody here in this room is in their 90s, but it doesn't matter how long. You can always go back to this simplicity. You can always go back to oh yeah, this is just feeling. It's never too late. It's never completely um, inaccessible as long as we have sense organs that work and minds that are able to cognize. Does anybody else have any comments they'd like to say or share? Okay, so for those of you who were here last week, you'll, you'll, you'll remember that we talked about Vedan on a feeling tone, and that is pointing towards the simplicity of, is an experience pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant? And, um, and to kind of help us get a sense of that, I led us through a guided meditation of like feeling sensations in the body. So many of you probably already know this, either through um, hearing it through teachings or having read about it, or even through just your direct experience. These sense contact leads to Vedana, feeling tone. So pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And then that leads to desire of some part. And then that leads to all kinds of things. Clinging, and then this mental proliferation. So both last week and this week, there's this pointing towards simplicity. Again, with a recognition, doesn't mean it's easy. <laughs> so I'd like you to get into two groups of four, and we'll um, have s- some discussion. And we'll do this in a way in which one person will say... A sentence or two. It doesn't have to be a big long story. Please don't make it be a big long story. That answers the question which I'm about to give you. And then it can go to the next person and they'll add something and then the next person they'll add something and then the next person they'll say something and then it comes back around to the first and just go round and round. So just a reminder that we're not giving advice to each other. And there's no need to talk about anything you don't feel comfortable talking about. There's no need to do your deep, dark secrets or anything like this. So here's the question. What wisdom do you have 
about simplicity. What wisdom do you have about working with simplicity, how to find simplicity, what are the consequences of simplicity, what wisdom do you have? We all have wisdom about this. We all have some experiences. What do you know about working with simplicity? So you can go ahead and get into two groups of four and you can talk about this. So now, now I'd like to add another question. What supports simplicity? What kind of things help that movement towards simplicity? And the, just whoever was going to be the next person to speak can be the one who starts. Okay, so I'd love to hear how was that to discuss uh, wisdom about simplicity and things that support simplicity. Did you hear yourself saying things that you didn't know? Did you learn some new things? Do you have something that might be helpful, beneficial, that you can take home with you? Questions, comments, protests? A comment and a question. Maybe I found um, comment. I found that I agreed with everything everyone said. It was helpful, um, helpful to hear my compadres and also uh, to think about those questions because I never really thought about the questions that you asked. So that was that was nice. And the question is, what are you doing when when we're talking? Are you listening to us? What's your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so I'm meditating, but sometimes I can hear certain things, but I'm noticing too, like, oh, hearing, and then I'm kind of noticing myself kind of like going to listening and then to hearing, so I'm kind of playing around with this too, myself. I think think your questions were wonderful, (coughs) wonderful questions. Simplicity is is difficult for all of us to talk about. We're just, we're not programmed to uh, to get into it, although I think we did really well. <laughs> and I yes. think that, um, I just got thinking a little bit about an event in in all of our lives that was very simple, and I, I'm going to take you to Abraham Lincoln, that when he gave the address in Gettysburg, the guy that preceded him spoke for an hour. And Abraham Lincoln spoke for about five minutes. And he was, it was such a simple uh, phrase of English, and it, um, it's been pretty good for all of us. Mm. The simplicity of that man and his ability to put it across and speak to us. Mm, nice. Thank you, John. Anybody else? Maybe I'll add, this is not something that um, we often talk about. You don't hear a lot of Dharma talks about it because people get a little uncomfortable with it. But there's this teaching, the word that often gets um, used, which feels maybe so relevant, or I'll just use it, is renunciation. And this word is like just pointing towards simplicity because it helps, right, to have a, simpler life in a way that makes sense to us. There's no need for austerities or this um, extreme asceticism. That's not the way to freedom. It's just in a way that allows some spaciousness, some ease. And then when we have such spaciousness, I think probably all of you have this experience that then some wisdom can arise from that. Often we can see the, the best way forward 
you know, at that moment. We can see things that we can't necessarily see if we're all wrapped up in whatever we're wrapped up in. And again, I want to emphasize that this isn't necessarily easy. And to have some compassion and for yourself and some respect for yourself. If you have this idea like, oh, I should be like this or not be like that. or Can you just have a simple relationship to that? Like, oh, this is how it is now. And not make it more complicated by adding all kinds of extra stuff on top of about that. just to notice that it's it's true there's really only six things happening and we can whenever we wish whenever we have the capacity to remember to just get back to that it's just seeing just hearing just thinking just tasting just smelling just feeling So for those of you who have a regular meditation practice, you might explore this week, what is it like? Maybe you spend your whole meditation period, maybe just a portion. What is it like just to either trace thoughts back to the sense contact that were kicked off or seem to initiate a particular thought train? Or maybe just to stay with, you know, sound, sound, sound. Feeling, feeling, feeling. Those are the two easiest ones if you're meditating your eyes are closed, but maybe your eyes are open. And then, of course, there's no reason why this has to only be done on the cushion. This can be done whenever, wherever. Just seeing when you're seeing. So it's nine o'clock and I wish all of you some ease and spaciousness and may you find some simplicity in your days. Thank you. And I'll stay up here if anybody has questions. Otherwise, I wish you all a good evening.